host of The Cell. I invite you to listen to our program every Wednesday night at 7.30 p.m. I would also like to thank you for listening to Community Radio on WGRN LP 94.1 FM, Columbus. I'd like to welcome our listeners back. And I know that I say this all the time. We got a real good guest with us today. I happened to meet a young lady by the name Chrissy Landis, works for OSU, Wexner, and she is a certified clinical research coordinator for Sick Cell. So I asked her would she come on and talk to us about what is it that she does in this particular position. So Chrissy, how you doing? I'm good, Felice. How are you? I'm doing fine. And I'd like to recognize my co-host for the day. I have with me Mr. Ernest Kelly. Hello. Stephanie Thomas. Hi, Chrissy. Welcome to the show. And I have Tish Brady. Hi. I can tell you guys that Chrissy has been ready to jump into this with both feet. So I'm not, I can't hold her back any longer. Chris, what I'd like for you to do is share with our listeners a little bit about yourself, how you got into the position that you're currently in. Sure. Um, So I have actually worked at Ohio State um, for about 16 years. It'll be 16 years this year. Um, I originally started out as a research associate over in the vet college. I did bench work. Um, We worked with proteins and DNA and cell cultures. And while I was doing my research, um, I decided to go back to school, good old benefit from Ohio State, and I got my master's in public health. And while I was attending the MPH program, I met a lot of my um, fellow students who were in clinical research. And I thought, tell me, you know, I told them, tell me, what's this clinical research all about? So when they started describing, you know, working with patients, the, you know, the medications, kind of what they were doing, a little light bulb kind of went off in my head. And as much as bench work is exciting, because I'm a science nerd, you know, it there just was something missing in terms of when I went home at night, it's like, meh. What, what am I doing? So after I graduated, I decided to kind of switch careers and go from bench research to clinical research. And I left OSU for a year um, to gain some experience. And then I came back to OSU. And it was kind of by really by chance that I got into the benign hematology group. It's as a side note, I, <laughs> I'm a student for life. I will always be a student and blood fascinates me anyway. I did take some classes on to be a blood spatter expert for forensics. So when I found that this this position was the benign hematology, I'm like, yes, blood. I get to, you know, study blood. So um, so I got the position. And then, you know, with our benign hematology group, we, we do research with all kinds of um, indications that are non-cancer that deal with blood disorders, hemophilia, clotting disorders, along with sickle cell. And again, it was kind of chance that I got put on the sickle cell trials. The girl that was before me, her name was Melanie and Dr. Desai, you know, I got um, going with them. And, you know, as I, as I started learning the trials and then, of course, getting to know the patients, I just, it clicked for me. I, I felt like I found what I was looking for in I don't want to necessarily say life, but it, it kind of felt that way. I mean, I just felt like this is what I was supposed to be doing. I love my, you know, as, especially as I got to meet more patients, I love my patients and I love being an advocate, an educator. 
um, of sickle cell, you know, because there are a lot of people out there that don't, that don't know anything about sickle cell or, or know very little. And I love being able to help people understand and to educate them. So, you know, I've been doing this now for four and a half years and it just, it, I mean, I smile when I talk about my job. <laughs> it's, it's not even a job to me. It's my career. Um, it's just what I, what I'm doing, you know, and I, yay, I get paid for, for doing it, <laughs> which is always a plus. Um, yeah. but it's, it's very, very fulfilling, um, for me, for my heart, for my soul. <laughs> wow. I mean, you got me over here smiling, uh, from ear to ear <laughs> because it is good to be able to get paid to do something that you love to do. Chrissy, did, uh, when COVID started, with your background, did they try and recruit you to uh, help with that research as far as finding a vaccine? We didn't really get recruited for that. With the hospital being as large as Ohio State is, you know, they have groups that are primarily focused on vaccines and whatnot. So they were the lucky groups that got um, tasked with helping on that research. So not me personally, but someone in the university did. <laughs> <laughs> Sound like you would have jumped on the team, huh, Ernie? <laughs> no, I wouldn't have. I would not have. <laughs> Although I will, I, I will say I do encourage. I try to encourage all of my patients because you know we've we've talked about that. I've talked with my patients before, and I'm not a doctor. I'm not a nurse, and I I tell my patients that they know that. But I do encourage them to get vaccinated, you know, for their own health and for their own, you know, safety because. I mean, we've all heard the stories, and I'm not trying to talk, turn this into that, but we've all heard the, the horror stories of perfectly healthy people becoming so sick with COVID. And, you know, when you have another health indication, especially with sickle cell, you just don't want to take any chances. So, yes, I definitely try to encourage my patients, you know, do some homework. Please talk to the doctors, the nurses, but, you know, please go get the vaccination for, for your own good, for your, for your own health. Because it's important. Well, Chrissy. Yeah. How how early did you realize that this is what you wanted to do? So you know, it's it's ironic. I made a Facebook post just today. I I always wanted to be a doctor. Um, at first, I wanted to be a surgeon because I wanted to get inside people and figure out what was going on. Um, I think in a former life, I might have very well been a mechanic because I'm one of those people that I like to know what's going on. And if I can fix it and see it, then I'll do it. Um, I didn't quite have the grades back in the day to go to med school, so I didn't end up going to med school. But I've always wanted to, to help people. Um, you know, I've considered nursing school in the past. I, you know, when I was doing the forensics, I did forensics for about a year, went to school. I wanted to do DNA analysis to help vindicate innocent people that were in prison. I wanted to do DNA testing so that way I could say, hey, this is not the person that's in jail. Like, they need to be let out. So I've always liked helping people. I love talking to people, getting to know their story, um, you know, so, you know, like I said, when you're at the bench, it's rewarding when you see a band on a gel. Okay, there it is. Hi, boss. Here's my band. <laughs> but it, you know, bench science, it, it takes a long time to really go into effect to even help somebody. So when I did switch to clinical research, and like I said, I've only been doing it for about five and a half years total. But when I switched into the health 
healthcare field and working with patients, it didn't take me very long to, to feel and to realize that I was in the right place, that this is kind of the thing I've always been looking for. I just couldn't quite put my finger on it to say this is what I wanted to do. Thank you. Your energy is great. <laughs> Chrissy, can you break down for our listeners what happens during a clinical trial and um, the process of it? Sure. So first and foremost, I always let my patients know um, research is always voluntary. Um, you know, if you don't want to do it, that's fine. If you want to do it, that's great. I always tell my patients, you can tell me no. I like yes, but you can tell me no. That is your right. So it's always voluntary. You know, I, I work hand in hand. I work very closely with the doctors prior to Dr. Desai leaving Ohio State. You know, I worked hand in hand with her. I worked with the nurse practitioners, the physician's assistants, all the team, and we would discuss the patients, you know, because with clinical trials, there are inclusion and exclusion criteria. These are the things that the study determines, um, you know, these patients must have this, they can't have this kind of thing. So once I determine, okay, a patient qualifies, then, you know, I try to approach patients in clinic where we have, you know, they're not in crisis, Hopefully, they're not in pain. It's a little more casual setting. You know, we're relaxed um, because we, we have had inpatient trials, and it's always heartbreaking to me to have to talk to someone about doing a trial, and I know that they're in pain because they're in the middle of a crisis. So it's, it's not one of my favorite things to do, for sure. Um, but in clinic, you know, when everybody's like, hey, you know, I'm feeling pretty good. I'm just here for a three-month checkup or a six-month checkup. So we'll sit down and we, we go over the trial. I'll give, I make a copy of the consent form and I'll give it to the patient. And I say, you know, kind of in layman's terms, talk about what we're doing. You know, if there's a drug involved, what, you know, what it is, what exactly it's doing for you with your sickle cell. You know, what's the frequency that you have to take it? Um, we've had studies where they have to stay overnight for a night. You know, they have to come back every, every single day for five days to get blood drawn. So, you know, we talk about everything. And I say, please take this home, you know, read over it. Talk about it with your family, your significant other, your parents, you know, whoever you want to talk about. And then, you know, I typically give our patients, you know, a week or two, depending on the intensity of the trial, and I follow up with them. And I always tell them, hey, you know, if you're interested, that's fine. You're not going to hurt my feelings, though, if you're not, if you really get to reading it. So, you know, we, we just go through it, and the, I let the patient determine what's, what's best for them and if they want to participate or not. So. I know you discussed just recently, you know, how you don't like asking patients to go through it while they're in crisis or when they're in pain. Um, but what are some of, like, your day-to-day -day or, you know, for you and your team, um, challenges that you guys deal with and, and you run into when wanting to run clinical trials? Um, well, I mean, the obvious thing most recently has been COVID, of course. <laughs> um, and honestly, um, Mother Nature, um, I'm, as I've learned in the past four years, you know, Mother Nature, you know, with the weather, um, it really hinders our patients' health sometimes. Weather really affects sickle cell patients, and it's beyond their control. You know, it's one thing if you're busy all weekend and you're like, man, I'm just really tired and run down, but, you know, I was running all over the place. But it's a whole other thing when the weather changes and now your body's like, oh, no, we don't like this because it's nothing that you can do. Um, and and I, I don't know that experience, you know. I mean, I, I can't sympathize because 
I don't have sickle cell, but I can empathize just from a chronic pain kind of standpoint. So, um, so weather living in Ohio <laughs> can sometimes be a, be a speed bump or a roadblock just because when patients are at home and they're nice and warm and they're comfortable and they're not in any pain, why would you want to go outside when it's 25 degrees and your body's like, oop, nope, okay, let's hurt. I, I wouldn't want to do that either. I, I wouldn't want to come into the doctor's office if I'm nice and warm at home. I wouldn't want to take that chance. Um, but, you know, I my biggest thing with with my patients is trust. Um, I, I want my patients to trust me. I, I take the time to get to know my patients. And so I don't, I don't run into a lot of roadblocks, to be honest, because I, when I talk to my patients and I want them to do research, you know, I, we're honest. I'm honest with them. You know, I, you know, I tell them, you're an excellent candidate for this. This is what we're looking for. You know, if this drug were to pass to go through the FDA, this is what it would do for the community. And I, I, I want to empower our sickle cell patients to, you know, to help not only themselves, but the community in general and, and little kids with sickle cell, you know, because one day gene therapy might be more common. It won't be a research study. And we, and we know there's no cure for sickle cell minus potential gene therapy or a bone marrow transplant, but not everyone has the ability to have those resources. And, you know, so there's got to be treatment. There's got to be things that help lessen the pain, help lessen the time between the crises and things like that. So, you know, that's what we're trying to do is to try and make life better for sickle cell patients. I want, I want a drug or an infusion or a pill. I want something that we can give to our patients that says when the patient takes it, they realize after six months, you know what? I have not been to the hospital. But, you know, prior to taking the medication, maybe they're in the hospital every month. Maybe they were there every two months. But I want, you know, that quality of life because, you know, when you start to feel good, you start to realize, oh man, this is, this is what life should be about. And I, I just, I think it's so, so important, you know, to, for research, because we do research for sickle cell patients, you know, it's not for everyone else. It is only for sickle cell patients. So with the relationship that I build with my patients, I, I really don't run into too many roadblocks, to be honest. Excuse me for a minute. We need to take an identification break. Hi, this is Ernest Kelly with the Faith Thomas Foundation. You're listening to The Cell on 94.1 FM, WGRN, and WGRN.org worldwide. Listen to us every Wednesday night at 7.30 p.m. Kind of leads me into my next question, just because you were talking about the relationship and trust that you build with your sure. patients. What 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 is what is your day to day like every day look like with your patients? If you don't mind just sharing that with us, um, sure. In, in in the role that you do. So I mean, honestly, I you know I meet with. Um, patients weekly. Um, sickle cell clinic is on Tuesdays over at East. Um, and if there are any sickle cell patients, you you know that I've maybe talked to you. I maybe just said hi to you. But um, but every week we have there's clinic at East at OSU East. And you know I talk to the patients in every week. Um, you know if even if they don't qualify, sometimes I just like to peek my head in and be like, hey, how's it going? Good to see you. You know kind of thing. Otherwise. You know, to be honest, coordinating can be kind of boring looking at it from the outside. Um, we do a lot of data entry. We do a lot of answering queries because, you know, when we enroll a patient, 
they're they're also collecting all of that data. I mean, that's also part of what you can send to lab lab results, you know, physical exams, things like that that the doctor sees you for. So we're doing a lot of data entry, and then of course our sponsor will be like, hey. We have a question about this, which is called a query. So we have to go back into mm-hmm. the system and answer queries. So, and you know, we have a lot of paperwork where we're filing regulatory things. So it can be a little boring <laughs> when you're not working with the patients. But when yeah. you know, like I said, I I meet with them weekly at clinic in a clinic setting. Um, you know, again, part of building that relationship. I mean, I've got several patients that when they are um, inpatient. I'll go in and see them. You know, obviously I won't go in there and wake them up or anything, but, you know, I'll peek my head in and just go in and say hi because I can't, especially during COVID when there was no visitors allowed, I can't imagine being in the hospital for three days, seven days, and having no one be able to come and see you. So, you know, just even, you might not even really know me. You just know me as the blonde girl that comes see me in clinic, <laughs> but I'm a somewhat of a familiar face. And just to come in and say, hey, just wanted to come in and say hi, you know. I mean, I had one patient, we had an hour-long conversation about Netflix shows. She's like, I need something to watch. I'm like, ooh, this is what you need to watch. So we started talking about Netflix shows. I mean, nothing (laughs) even research-related, but, you know, it helped pass just an hour of her time, and and I got to know her a little better, too. So when I saw her, I'm like, yo, did you watch that? And she's like, oh, my gosh, thank you. So, you know, again, it just kind of, those those are the moments of my job that I loved. <laughs> Thank you. Yeah. Okay, uh, Chrissy, I have a question yeah. for you. Um, sure. I know that you talked about, you know, you, you go and you talk to the, the patients or, mm-hmm. you know, that come in there and you ask to be part of your trial. Yeah. What, um, what are some, I know that you talked about some of the pluses of what yeah. you said that could happen for them. What are some of the minuses that can happen to a patient that they might occur during these clinical trials? Sure. Well, um, well, one of the negative things are the blood draws. Um, you know, unfortunately, a lot of our sickle cell patients already have to do a lot of blood draws, you know, um, and unfortunately, as I've learned talking to my patients, you know, sickle cell veins are very shy. <laughs> they don't like to give up blood very easily. So, you know, when you when you enroll a patient into a trial and you're like, okay, well, we're going to have five straight days of blood draws. You have to come in Monday through Friday every day and we're going to draw your blood. And it's a lot to ask again, and that kind of goes along with, you know, them consenting, but, you know, blood draws are kind of a negative thing, especially when they don't get, the vein doesn't get stuck on the first, you know, the first stick. I, I don't like to see my patients have to get sick multiple times. It it, it hurts me. <laughs> I mean, I, I don't like watching it, and I, I hate watching, you know, them wince in pain, but so that's that's one negative thing, um, you know, the sometimes, and it's study to study dependent. It's not all studies that, you know, but some of the studies, there are multiple blood draws. Um, and then, of course, depending on if it is a pharmacological study, you know, there could be um, a side effect of the drug, um, as we've all watched on TV when they talk about drugs, you know, with those commercials, there's a list of side effects that are possible, and that's yeah. not different. And and that's not different for a drug that has not been FDA approved yet. You know, there then 
when it comes down to it, they weigh the, the pluses versus the minuses. Are the positive things of this drug, do they far outweigh the negativity, you know, to, in order to approve it? So side effects um, are another negative thing. But again, not all patients have side effects. It, it varies from person to person, and it varies, of course, with whatever drug um, you know, you might not experience anything. You might have like a minor headache. Um, it might cause diarrhea, but, you know, it's person to person dependent. So those side effects can sometimes be a little like, ooh, I, I'm not sure about this. So side effects, blood draws. And then, of course, sometimes clinical trials can be a little inconvenient, especially if you are asking them to come back a lot, <laughs> you know, or if there's multiple phone calls. But again, this is why we talk about, you know, the whole entire study, all the goods and the bad, you know, before you consent, before you sign the consent form and say, yes, I'm going to do this. We talk about everything. So that way you are, you know, educated and you understand that, hey, there's a lot to this. Just know that this is part of the study. So, you know, a few a few things, you know, that could be inconvenient or, you know, a little ouchy. But, I mean, when you look at the overall picture, and this is me being positive, but when you look at the overall picture, it, you know, the, again, those positive points definitely kind of outweigh the negative ones. What about being, like, eligible to even to enter into the program? Mm-hmm. Have you had a situation where you had someone who was eligible uh, entering into the program, and then you had to turn around and take them out uh, based on some of those side effects? Um, I fortunately have not. Um, now, okay. I I currently, I mean, I do have a, I have one trial where they're taking Voxelator. Um, I think I can talk about this. I just will keep it very broad. <laughs> but we have one study where we're working with Voxelator, and Hopefully, everyone knows that Voxelator was recently approved by the FDA for the treatment of sickle cell. Um, it helps with hemoglobin, and it can actually increase hemoglobin quite a bit um, for the users as long as they're compliant with taking the medication. But Voxelator has some side effects, diarrhea, headaches, upset stomach, rashes. So I have one patient who is in the trial but has had to decrease their dose because taking the full dose was just too much. They actually got a rash. So, you know, and that's just a common side effect. So we've had to decrease their dose in order to kind of get away from those. She really liked how she felt. She felt so much better. Her hemoglobin really came up and she was feeling so much better that she was like, I want to stay on it. Let's let's make this work. Some sometimes the side effects do come through and we just try to try our best to see what the patient wants to do, you know, how comfortable they're feeling and then we go from there. Yeah, yeah no, I really appreciate how in depth you're um you're going in, into your answers and explaining you can really hear the passion of, of what you do. So Good, good. Uh, I know how important, yeah, I know how important just clinical trials are. Part of, of what you mentioned, Chrissy, was that you also look at the, the drug use of the pharmaceutical aspect for the clinical trials. Are there devices that you look at, too, in the clinical trial? Um, our group in specifically does, we don't do any devices um, because really, and I'm, you know, I try to think, I'm trying to think if there would be some kind of device for sickle cell research, and I can't really think of something that would, you know, what kind of device that would be, and it might just be outside of my my scope, um, you know, but 
personally, with the research that I've done, I've not done any device research. Now, again, there are device research out there for lots of other indications, but nothing that I know of as far as for sickle cell. Chrissy, do you have anything to do with gene therapy? Um, actually, ironically, um, we are in the beginning stages of opening a gene therapy trial at Ohio State. Yes. Would you be part of that? I will be, and I'm I'm very excited for it. I I felt like we really needed to open this trial because it's it's very important. Um, we we've had a couple of patients where we've referred them to out of state to participate with some gene therapy trials. So we actually have two patients that have undergone uh, treatment. So now it's kind of a waiting game to see hopefully if their body accepts everything and they're cured. Um, but how exciting is that? I mean, just being able to offer our patients a possible cure of a disease that they have that they had no hope of ever being cured of. And now, potentially, and I, you know, I have to say potentially and throw those little disclaimers in because sometimes your body rejects things. But how exciting is that? I mean, you know, when, again, I, I don't understand because I don't have sickle cell, but just thinking about dealing having a disease that you have altered your whole life for, you you know, whether it's plans with your family or your friends, not going to school, not taking that job, I mean, whatever it is because of your disease and just the possibility of not having that. Like it, it's a, I mean, obviously it's a life-changing, life-changer. <laughs> so yeah. yes, I was, I was pretty adamant. I pushed pretty hard to make sure that we still had this trial at Ohio State um, for our patients because I think it's very, very important. I know we're getting ready to come to the end of our show here. Christy, what I would like to do is ask you to come back on maybe sometime in April, kind of, you know, give our listeners a little bit more information on gene therapy. I would appreciate that. Yeah. Um, <laughs> Chrissy, is there anything that you would like to say to our listeners before we sign off, like where they can get more information about clinical trials? Um, okay, so I should have this memorized. Um, I know that there's, I think it's clinicaltrials.gov, G-O-V. You can go there and they're, they're, all the trials are listed um, just in terms of any trial available in the United States. And it will tell you where in the United States is being offered, you know, all about it, what phase it is. So clinicaltrials.gov is an excellent resource. If you're listening to this and you're a patient at Ohio State, first of all, tell me how do how good I do on the interview, <laughs> or maybe how bad I'm bombing this. <laughs> but you know, chat chat with me. I I really hope um, that maybe I've inspired you to maybe want to participate. And if I have, please please let me know um, because I would love to chat with you and see if we can you know if we can see if you qualify for anything. But again, I you know the only thing I I really want to say is I'm happy to talk with anyone about what I do, not only with the education of sickle cell, but also clinical trials and how important they really are. I mean, hydroxyurea, it was discovered, you know, it's this chemotherapy drug, but they did clinical trials because they found what it did with the hemoglobin. Boom. Now it's the go-to, right, for sickle cell like therapy. And then of course with Voxelator and Crizolizumab, again, that was that was all in part 
do clinical research. So now we have two more therapies available for sickle cell patients. And it's, it's you know, we, the money is there, um, you know, overall, the money is there and it's being filtered for this kind of research. So let's use it, you know, let's, let's enroll, let's, let's find some more treatments to keep you out of the hospital, to keep your pain crises. I want you to wake up and be like, I've not been in the hospital for a whole year. I want that because <laughs> our patients deserve so much more, so much more to their lives than, than this disease. Our patients are so much more than this disease. And I want them to have that quality of life that they deserve. I want to thank Stephanie, Tish, and Ernie. Chrissy, I want to thank you for your participation today. No problem. So this is Felice, your host. Peace out. The Faith Thomas Foundation would like to thank you for listening to The Cell. We broadcast on WGRN 94.1 FM every Wednesday night at 7.30 p.m. You can also stream us live on Wednesdays at 7.30 p.m. on WGRN 94.1. For more information on the Faith Thomas Foundation, please visit our website, Facebook, and follow us on Twitter. Our Twitter handle is FaithThomasFDN. My name is Willa Jackson, and I'm on a mission to raise awareness by informing both teens and women globally who suffer in silence from incontinence issues, cramps, heavy bleeding, unhealthy menstrual cycles, and the potential toxicity of tampon use. Our goal is to bring light to a taboo subject that has silenced females for far too long. A mother talked about her daughter coming on her menstrual when she was 10. By the time she was 14, she was wearing a tampon and a pad. Menstruating 12 to 14 days was in severe pain, bleeding so heavily the doctors put the child on birth control pills. The mother talked about the shame and embarrassment but didn't know what else to do. Once she started using brain premium sanitary napkins, the child cycled went from 12 to 14 days down to five days and was able to wear a liner the last day and the cramps were totally gone. For more information, reach out to me at naturalpathsforyou at gmail.com or call me at 614-946-8926. Thank you.